game. Seven match, Djokovic. Three sets to long. Six three, six four, six nine. Novak's back down under, but he looks on top of the world. Uh, Novak Djokovic's first appearance on Red Leaf Arena in some time, of course, being prevented from playing in the Australian Open last year due to vaccine requirements. I sort of sense he's endearing himself with the Australian public. In his speech after that victory over his Spanish opponent, said, look, if there's one tennis court anywhere in the world that I feel most comfortable on, that I love playing on, it's the centre court here at Rod Laver Arena. Big games to look forward to today. British tennis player Radicanu takes on ASB Classic winner Coco Goff. Thought it's about time that we got a bit of an update from the Australian Tennis Open. My next guest on the programme is a wonderful commentator. I've been privileged enough to work with him previously at the Tokyo Olympic Games. He's part of the commentary team for the Australian Open. His name is Drew Lilly. He joins us afternoon to you. Drew, welcome. Hi, Mark. How are you? Very good, thank you. Now, your first game, I think, that you called was on Monday featuring Auckland's own slash Great Britain's own Cameron Norrie. <laughs> Slash Johannesburg's own, yes, he's a, he's a citizen of the world. Yes, yes, and Cameron Norrie, he looked a bit out of sorts. He was playing a young lad called Luca von Asch, uh, who won the French Open Juniors uh, last year, only 18 years old, and Cam Norrie, now on the outskirts of the top 10, uh, had such a great run at the United Cup when he beat the likes of Taylor Fritz, Rafael Nadal, um, Alex Dimonor, and then had a great run at, in Auckland and got it all the way up to the final and looked like he was going to get that one over the line and then suddenly seemed to have some sort of block uh, towards the end against Richard Gasquet. And I think he might have had a little bit too much. Usually it's the Australian and New Zealand summer of tennis and you like to peak at about the right time. He seems to have peaked a little bit too early, and he looked like he needed a rest. He was really out of sorts against someone who's got a similar playing style to him, and he struggled through. He got through in three sets, but it really wasn't his best tennis, and you could tell the fact that he was still playing in Auckland on the Saturday, would have flown over on the Sunday, and the poor guy had to play in Melbourne on the Monday. So the good thing for him now, though, is that he got his first round match out of the way when the weather was nice. Tuesday, we had the heat rule in play. It was absolutely stinking hot in the afternoon, and they decided that there was no play on the outside courts. As soon as we got back on there, obviously it had been that hot. It meant that the storm was brewing, and then the heavens opened. All sorts of matches moved around here, there, and everywhere. So the good thing for Norrie is he's got his first match out of the way, and he can rest. While today there's a hugely busy schedule, I'm looking out of the window, play hasn't started yet because it's, it's 11 o'clock here, they're going to start on the show courts that have got roofs, but the outside courts, there's no way they can play for another hour or so because there's a, a lot of drizzle and the courts are wet. So it's actually good for Norrie that A, he's got through and B, he can have a rest for a day or two. Yeah, it's interesting because in his next round he'll take on Constant Lestier, who actually made the semi-finals at the ASB Classic and then withdrew. Um, he was supposed to take on Richard Gasquet, and now there was a lot of criticism because people felt that here he was on the cusp of winning his first ATP title. But no, I want to rest up. I want to go to the Australian Open. Not many people have given Lestier any real chance of getting past Norrie in this. Um, and a lot of people felt that 
he had done the wrong thing. Do you know much about Lestian and what can Nor- Cameron Norrie expect from him? It, it's strange because you think you you come across these players every so often and you think I hadn't heard of him before. He he must be an up and coming youngster like the guy that Cam Norrie played in the first round, Luca von Ash. And then you think, well, hang on, no, he isn't. <laughs> he was born in the, the guy's thirty years old. He's just never really uh, managed to to make his breakthrough. And then he worked really hard in the end of 2021, and then in particular. 2022 obviously lots of people struggled during the the pandemic where can you play who can you train with that kind of thing and he's never really been part of the the french setup the french will pick players early on very early on like gasquet gasquet was picked as a a 12 year old and put on the front of sports magazine saying he's the one who's going to be the finally he's going to break our duck in terms of men winning a grand slam and that Duck is still going on. They haven't won one since the French Open 1983 in Yannick Noah. And so the weight of expectation could be on certain people like Luca von Asch, whom Norrie played in the first round. And then you've got Letienne, uh, who's just gone under the radar, but he did it the hard way, playing a lot of challenges uh, in and around Europe in 2022. And you don't pick up a huge amount of points, but if you get if you can get to finals, you can win them. You get 40 points here, 40 points there, and you can drag your way up in the rankings. And he's currently just outside the top 60, which is pretty much as, as high as he's ever been. Um, the fact that he pulled out there in the semis over in Auckland, I think is a pretty poor look because he, he hasn't. he's not someone who's had a huge amount of success and can afford to say, oh, you know what, I'm concentrating on the Australian Open. Uh, and so hopefully Cam Norrie's going to put him in his place when they do play in the second round and say, you know, there's people who would give their eye teeth to be in the position you're in, so don't pull out of a, uh, a high-profile semi-final when you've got the opportunity. Last night, another thrilling 5 setup featuring 35-year-old Andy Murray gets up over 13 seed Italian Matteo Berentini in another wonderful performance, another wonderful um, advertisement for tennis. It was absolutely amazing. And it was, I think a lot of us have been thinking, can Andy Murray ever really roll back the years? And since his hip surgery, he hadn't won many matches at Grand Slams. I think he'd only won eight of them, and he hadn't beaten anyone, I don't think he'd beaten anyone in the top 20 in the best part of five or six years, and yesterday it helped him, the fact that it was so hot that they closed the roof on uh, the show court that he was on, thank goodness we've got three show courts with roofs here so we can carry on playing, I say thank goodness, I was actually commentating up until two in the morning on one of them, so uh, it swings and roundabouts. But for Murray, it meant that he was playing in indoor conditions, which meant the ball wasn't quite going to fly through the air as quickly as it would. Uh, and that meant that Berrettini's big service wasn't quite the weapon it would be. And he caught Berrettini cold for a couple of, uh, couple of sets, took a two-set-to-love lead when Berrettini was still adapting to the conditions. And it's not that difficult to adapt, but Berrettini himself said, it's my own fault. Mentally, I wasn't there, and I was a bit troubled by the fact that the roof was closed. 
but it's my own fault. I should have just brushed that to one side and carried on. Berrettini then came back, and we got into a final set, and then it was genuine toe-to-toe, two really good players, two Grand Slam finalists in the case of Berrettini, winner in the case of Murray, going toe-to-toe. Berrettini had a match point at 5-4, I think it was, and fluffed the kind of backhand that you or I would have put away, Mark. It was as simple as that, and he's going to regret that for quite some time. But credit to Murray, it wasn't Berrettini losing it. It was him winning it, digging incredibly deep, and rolling back the years. It's a cliche, and people have wanted him to roll back the years for the last four or five years. The guy's playing on a metal hip, for heaven's sake. And you think, well, there's no way he can really peak again. He's, he's going to have a few wins here or there, but nothing too flashy. This was a flashy win. This was a genuine knocking out one of the contenders in the first round. It was an awful draw for both of them. Murray's got through, and now Murray can have a bit of a run, I'd say at least, the second week. Yeah, we saw Novak Novak Djokovic get up, beating the Spanish opponent in straight sets, Rod Laver Arena. Is, Is it fair to say that he is slowly endearing himself to the Australian public and the wider tennis public? I mean, very much in the Federer and Nadal era, you can't have three heroes. You can probably have two and a villain, and he's always sort of had that villain. He's always had that sort of villain tag. You, you've always got to pick a villain, uh, and yes, particularly usually there's a hero and a villain. And then if you've got the right-handed hero, the left-handed hero, uh, you, you've definitely got to have a villain. And then you've got the the smooth, suave Roger Federer. Uh, then you've got Rafael Nadal, who's a bit more quirky. Uh, doesn't express himself quite as well, speaks with quite a pronounced accent, but still speaks wonderful English, but not in a Federer kind of way. So you've got two people that you can really go for, um, two different types of heroes. So you you really didn't need a villain. And for for a number of years, it was Djokovic. And then obviously what happened this time last year with his entry into Australia and then subsequent uh, deportation, I think he's done things very cleverly this time around. So rather than coming into Sydney or Melbourne to begin with, he crept in almost by the the back door uh, via Adelaide, and I'm going to get in trouble with my in-laws who are from Adelaide there, but it it is sort of creeping in the back door uh, and where you won't get such a harsh reception and you can pass under the radar. So he did that played in Adelaide, played well, and then it was a big test yesterday coming out, but the crowd were very warm to him because they know he's an absolutely wonderful player, and let's be honest, he's won here nine times. And you're going to endear yourself to the crowd over the decades if you're that good a player, and the tournament identifies with him, he identifies with the tournament. And the crowd were very warm to him yesterday on Rod Laver Arena. And then by the time he really hit his straps, third Mm. set, I think he only dropped about four or five points. He was absolutely untouchable. I know it's very early going. He got huge strapping on his thigh and had a little bit of a twinge or two when he was playing in Adelaide against Medvedev, most notably, and saying he got hamstring problems. But he's played through injuries before. He used to withdraw quite often when it was he was younger, 15 years ago, at the start of his career. And that didn't give him a good reputation compared with Federer and Nadal. But he's he's got a lot more solid physically, to, and that's a real understatement. And he's looked as good as anyone over the first two days. 
Yeah, look, I think he did a great job PR-wise too, playing that exhibition um, alongside of Nick Kyrgios on the Friday night prior to the tournament kicking off where he showed his colourful, he showed his humorous side and he almost humanised himself. That's right, yes. It was a very, very clever thing to do. Uh, uh, get yourself on the side of Australia's poster boy and the, the fact that Kyrgios has said uh, ever since Wimbledon last year when they met in the final, it's oh, like Novak, I supported him this time last year when there was the deportation saga. Um, and so we've been mates since then and we'll go out to dinner at some point. I don't know whether they will. Uh, big talk, easy to say. But uh, it, it was a clever thing for Djokovic to do. Uh, and so it was the, the the global poster boy for the tournament who's won it nine times and then the Australian poster boy. And unfortunately, they're having to take his, his face off the posters now with Kyrgios having withdrawn. Mm. Tennis commentator Drew Lilly is my guest. You're listening to SENZ. OK, looking forward to the big matches today. I guess on the women's side, uh, US Open winner, former US Open winner, Emma Raducanu of Great Britain, taking on Coco Goff, who was a finalist at the French Open. Coco Goff endeared herself to the New Zealand public as she won the ASB Women's Classic. How do you see this one going? It's going to be very tough for Emma Raducanu. Coco Goff... Uh, an absolutely wonderful player. I think she may have played a little bit too much tennis last year. She was playing on all fronts. She was playing singles, doubles, which also endears her to the public and to the the real tennis aficionados who like to see people playing doubles as well. And she was playing in the World Tour final, singles and doubles, tried to get over for the Billie Jean King Cup uh, finals as well. So she was going from the USA over to Europe. She was with I don't know, about 12 hours off uh, after a uh, transatlantic flight. She was exhausted towards the end. And she really needed to take some time off and work on her forehand. Uh, it's, it's the weakest part of her game, and it's obviously a very important part of your game. And she reckons she's worked on that and has done the necessary. And it's going to be a real test for her up against Emma Raducanu. Uh, Goff looked brilliant in the first round, beating Katerina Siniakova, who is a very good player. Radikanu did well uh, as well against uh, Tamara Korpach of Germany, who maybe is a name that won't be that familiar to people, but she's a big hitter who can trouble players. So it was two... Uh, well, it was a, a U.S. Open winner and then a, a U.S. Open or a, a Grand Slam finalist coming up against one another. They're coming up against one another in the second round. It's almost unfair. Uh, my pick would be Coco Goff because I don't think Emma Raducanu is quite settled yet with a new coaching setup. She's gone through various different coaches. Uh, Dimitri Tursunov, the former player, was with her last year and he moved away from her saying that she needs, she's got too many voices going on. She's got too many different coaches, um, both the, the actual coach and then the strength and conditioning, physios. Uh, she needs to get a, a settled team with her, Radicanu, And she reckons she's got that now. It's probably a little bit early for her. Uh, if she'd been coming up against someone other than Coco Goff in the second round, I'd have uh, backed her to work her way into the tournament, uh, get into the second week, and by which time if she settled, she could probably get past anyone. Uh, but there's still a huge weight of expectation on her shoulders. Back in the UK, 
there are people writing about her in the in the broadsheets, the daily newspapers, every day. It's right. One of you's writing on Murray, and the other one's writing on Radicani. And if Radicani loses, which she's done a fair bit of, which you always do in tennis, you tend to lose more than you win until you're really in the top echelons. Then she's permanently got this almost negative press. Why hasn't she lived up to the billing uh, of the being the 2021 U.S. Open winner? Huge pressure on on a, on a teenager, uh, and she's trying to handle it in the best way possible. I think she's going to have a good season, but coming up against Coco Golf this early, uh, I think that's going to be a bridge too far. Okay, Drew. In tonight or in the days coming, what are the big matchups that people are look, looking forward to? What are the ones that are creating the most most discussion? Uh, the Aussies, obviously, they've got no Nick Kyrgios to watch, and even uh, well, it's it's a real shame for Australia and that Ash Barty's retired. Nick Kyrgios has pulled out with the fist that he's got on his knee, which. Um, I know from experience that's a very painful thing to have and it's very difficult to play through. So that's fair enough. And then Isla Tomjanovic pulling out as well. So the Aussies have got various people to uh, throw their uh, support behind. I was commentating on the Alexi Popperin match last night, which went five sets and he got through. That was on John Kane Arena, which is a really good atmosphere under the roof. Uh, Alex Dimonor played beforehand as well. So... All the hope now is being transferred onto Demonor, but it's probably looking around. It's maybe time to focus on the Americans. The Americans uh, on the men's side probably haven't had such a good time of it since the 90s and maybe early 2000s. They seem to be coming into their own, and a lot of people's picks for the tournament will be uh, American, Taylor Fritz for the men, and then Jessica Pagula for the women. Pagula in particular, she beat Iga Sviatek, the world number one and very much undisputed world number one, beat her at the United Cup and Sviatek left the court in tears. She's someone who wears a heart on the sleeve, very emotional, uh, but Pagula beat her fair and square. And there are times when Sviatek looks absolutely untouchable, be it on hard courts or on clay where she's won Roland Garros. Uh, a couple of times, and she's still very young, and you think, well, this woman's going to be untouchable for a decade. And Pagula has really raised her game, and she seems to be rounding into form just at the right time. Uh, They're in the same half of the draw as well, so it's very much a a loaded top half of the draw, but Sviatek, Jessica Pagula, Coco Goss in that half of the draw as well, Danielle Collins, another American who made the final last year, and even Bianca Andreescu, uh, another Grand Slam winner uh, who's had her own uh, problems and been off court for quite some time, the Canadian. So that's a loaded top half of the draw on the women's. Then on the men's side, uh, Taylor Fritz made, him, made his way into the top 10. He's been a great player with all the weapons for quite some time, but he just needed, again, to get himself settled. And people have asked me before, Who's the new generation? Who are the young players who are going to come through? And to me, it's not the young players. It's players who are not necessarily that young, but have been playing for a while and then settle into their game, settle into it mentally, because tennis is such a mental game. Matteo Berrettini is going to be thinking about that match point against, that he had against Murray for 
days, weeks to come. He's going to be, you've got to be able to put that behind you as quickly as possible and learn to deal with defeat, learn to deal with the, pre- the pressures of the media and what happens off court, as we were talking about with Emma Raducanu. And I think Taylor Fritz has got his head sorted out quite nicely. He's making his way into the top 10. He had another good United Cup run as well when uh, United States won. He, again, is in a tough part of the draw. Um, should be Kasper Ruth, uh at some point. Djokovic in the semis, I think. Uh, but he's he, to me, is the main challenger to Novak Djokovic in this draw. Drew Lilly, absolute privilege and a pleasure, mate. Wonderful insight. Thank you for taking the time and out of your busy schedule and joining us here on ECNZ. My absolute pleasure, Mark. Anytime you know that. Brilliant. Great man, Drew Lilly, one of the great commentators, an absolute scholar and a gentleman talking all things the Australian Open. It is 24 minutes after one. You're listening to SENZ. Telephone numbers 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833 on the Temper Bedpost text machine.